This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So we've been on this subject lately of uh, mind expansion. We've discussed all kinds of details. And, and where we ultimately got to was, where we ultimately got to, we had gotten to the fact that, that spiritual leaders generally are, are working their way down up, meaning they're, they're, we live here and you can climb the, you can climb the ladder of spirituality and get somewhere, hopefully. But in Judaism, we have the climb the ladder aspect, but that's not our tradition. Of course, if you become a master of the spiritual realms, if you can climb them, you will become a, a spiritual leader. You will become a spiritual light. And they will call you Roshi if you're Buddhist, or they'll call you, which is funny, as our, we have a Roshi Yeshiva, and they have a Roshi. So they, I mean, you'll climb those, that ladder, and you will become someone who's an accomplished spiritual leader. In Judaism, we have all that stuff, but we also have what's a, uh, called prophecy, and that's up-down. Prophecy doesn't come from us. Prophecy is coming from above, down to us. That's a whole, that's categorically different. I mean, you could put it on a continuum, and I think I will in a little bit, but it's, it doesn't really belong in a continuum because everything on that continuum is going to be down, up, down, up, you growing, climbing, learning Kabbalah, learning mysticism, moving up, moving up, moving up, purifying yourself towards it, working on yourself, developing yourself, getting to higher levels. But up, down is prophecy, categorically different. This is also what distinguishes us from world religions. World religions are all down up. Now, some of them aren't anywhere. I mean, some of them are just brainwash, mind clamps. But the ones that are that are real spirituality, which you know, are many. I mean, there's thousands. There, I mean, you could go tribe to tribe in some jungles, where every jungle has its own incredibly developed mystical tradition. That's that comes with all the rites of passage and, and the do's and the don'ts and the, like, you know, they, every one of them. And, and interestingly, all the aboriginal ones that are really based in true mysticism have everything in common with us, whereas all the ones that are not like that or they're man-made, you know, they're like a societally developed religion. Society developed religion usually has almost nothing in common with us on the internal. And let me explain that. Let me develop that a little more. You've got, um, uh, let's take, for example, Christianity. Christianity was developed exactly after the temple period. So you'll notice they look externally very much like us. Externally. Uh, sorry, very much like temple Judaism. First of all, you're centrally located. It's got a, it's got, the church is where things happen. In our days, when the temple was standing, there were, there, you went to the temple three times a year. That was the place you go. Um, it had a, our temple had a priesthood. Christianity has a priesthood. There was um, this whole thing of sacrifice going on in the temple, and you'll notice Christianity is very big on sacrifice. First of all, um, JC himself a sacrifice, and then there's um, there's a, there's other aspects of that involved. But there's also in one of our offerings was incense offering. So they don't want to spill no blood, or at least they only like to spill Jewish blood, but they, they don't want to kill animals, but they will light incense and walk around the church with their incense, which, of course, you guys know how serious we were about incense. I spoke about that the other day. 
And we're, we're seriously, we're seriously serious about incense. And the, anyway, but the um, priesthood centrally located, um, specific times of the day or year or, or week or whatever. Um, then came along synagogue Judaism. For hundreds of years there was synagogue Judaism and then came along Islam, which is the, which is an ex, is the externals of synagogue Judaism. Multiple prayers a day, no priesthood, every person's a practitioner. You can pray in a phone booth. You're not, you're not, you don't have to go anywhere to do your prayers. And no offerings, no incense, no nothing. It's, uh, so the Islamic community is, is kind of a takeoff on synagogue Judaism. Now, when you go Kabbalistically, which is, what do you say, Kabbalistic is the majority of Jewish life or minority <laughs> of Jewish life? Kabbalistic. Meaning, if you were going to take all the writings in Judaism, would you have more about the logistics of what we do or the Kabbalistic meanings of what we do? Which one's going to have more writings? Non-Kabbalistic. You would think non-Kabbalistic, right? Because you say Kabbalistic, she says non-Kabbalistic. It's a machlokas. is Right, so it's a very easy answer. I'll give it to you in one second. Let's just say that I told you a commandment and a law. So um, you have to give tzedakah, you have to give to the poor. And and of the poor, I'll give you a law that you can't give less than 10% of the money you make after expenses, meaning after taxes. You have to give 10% of whatever you get. That was a law, right? Now, I could give you an, uh, probably a three-hour class Kabbalistically about tzedakah. Really cool stuff. Like, meaning you're taking the, the coin is the yud. The coin is the yud. Your hand is the hay. Your arm is the vav. The other guy's hand is the hay. And it's this, it's God's name ultimately. And there's this whole connection and everything about oneness and everything about equality of wealth, which of course Marxists love and Judaism loves too, but we are not a Marxist uh, 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 financial um, structure in biblical Judaism. So, but there's truth to it because of tzedakah, the quality that tzedakah creates. That's why the word tzedakah is not charity. Charity means this, give some money to this poor food. The word tzedakah means, what's the word tzedek mean? Righteous. It means righteous, do the right thing. It just means do the right thing. This guy maybe hit hard times or maybe he doesn't have the inner wherewithal to make him living. Well, make sure he's got some food on his table for Shabbos. Like, don't let him really fall. And also the word tzedek is scales. Scales, well, you got more and they got less. Okay, well, you earned that, so enjoy it. But balance a bit. It also lets you know, don't expect government to take care of things. Because when you let, like in the U.S., like you let government take care of, of the poor, you wind up with inner city danger. You know, you wind up with Chicago. Well, hell breaks loose. There's areas you just can't go anymore in a lot of cities in the U.S. And so, so you you see that tzedakah means you be righteous. Don't don't expect your government to be righteous. You yourself be righteous. You set the scales. 
you set the scales. Anyway, I just keep going and going. And you imagine I could go for hours on, on Sadaka. So which one's going to have more writings? The Kabbalistic import or the actual law of how to give Sadaka? There's a lot of laws too. I mean, there's, there's the Rambam brings 10 levels of Sadaka. What's the highest level? Anyone know? Give them a job. Teach them how to make their own living. That's considered tzedakah. Help them learn how to make a living is the highest form of tzedakah. So, so you understand that... The, the, so which one's going to have a lot more writings? Is it 4 o'clock? Am I like... It's 5 or 4. Okay. No, I, I, you're making me nervous because I, I have a tendency to not keep track of time very well. Wow. You know, I just realized that I'm not great at keeping track of time when I teach. But I'm, I'm sitting in a new yeshiva in the mornings. I've been learning somewhere else in the mornings. And, and I've noticed some of the rabbis aren't very good at keeping track of time. And I'm in the class. And I realize as important as what he's saying is, I'm, now I'm looking at the clock. Like, and some of them are saying really important stuff. So I'm listening, but not like I was before. Now I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, it's over a rabbi. You know, where the, where's the energizer batteries on this guy? You know, I'm going to pull one out. You know, <laughs> so I got things to do. You know, I have to go somewhere or it's going to push my schedule, mush my schedule up later. You know, like finish, please. So anyway, when I'm getting a taste of my own medicine, I think maybe it's exactly what I needed to start paying more attention when I, when I teach. Um, yeah, so which one has more writing? So Kabbalah? If you were to write down, Kabbalah would definitely have more writing. Yeah, it's yeah, written it, it is written down. It's written down, yeah. Not all, all of it? <laughs> whatever we know is, like, there's a lot of missing stuff. But whatever's known has been written. And you could fill this room from the floor to the ceiling with the Kabbalah stuff. Whereas the, the, the rest of the stuff, you know, you'd need bookshelves. But we could fill the entire space of the room with, it, with how much is written on every little law. There's not one little law in Judaism, besides if it's offensive, it's just offensive to keep you from falling. That's not going to have Kabbalah. But everything else is going to have massive, massive Kabbalistic stuff. Meaning you can click on the most arbitrary looking law. And you'll get, like, incredible secrets. Even the word 10%. Like, click on the word 10%. What's, how do you say 10%? Ma, ma'aser. Well, what if you move the dot from the sin from ma'aser? What if you l- l- move it to the other side? It becomes ma'asher. Well, what's the word asher in? means rich. Right? So, you want to get rich? You be a receptacle of money. Like, you get money out to the world. Well, what does that do? If you're the kind of person who puts money out, it makes a little bell go off in heaven. And God's like, I got my guy, man. Because think about it. God's problem, he's got to feed everybody. (laughs) Now, when it comes to ants, he feeds them fruit. And when it comes to anteaters, he feeds them ants. And when it comes to lions, he feeds them anteaters. And meaning that's all God's problem, but we're the ones that He created where He expects us to take care of each other. 
Now, really, he's doing it. I mean, he's pulling all the strings. I mean, you ever do anything? He's orchestrating everything. You never did a thing in your life. He lets you pretend for six days you do something. That's why Shabbat you're not allowed to do. Because Shabbat's the, let's stop pretending. <laughs> That's all Shabbat is. Shabbat's like, can we stop pretending you did anything this week? <laughs> and, but he's so kind to us because he like lets us feel like, hey, you did something. It's like raising teenagers. You ever raise a teenager? You got to give them a sense they're independent. I mean, you're all, you're paying everything. <laughs> You know, but you pretend they're like on their own. Now that you're on your own, son, you know, you got to start, you know, whatever. And meanwhile, you're paying for everything with your son on his own. So anyway, the, but we pretend they're independent and God does the same. Six of the days, six sevenths of the week. And God's like super chill. Six sevenths of the week. He's like, yeah, go knock yourself out. Pretend you do something. Now you know why he plays hardball on the one day. You know, like Torah gives pretty heavy penalty on breaking Shabbat. Heavy stuff, man. Way more than you would think. Like a day of rest shouldn't come with a big penalty if you decide, I'm sorry, I don't feel like resting right now. Well, that's too bad. Now you're going to die. Oh, you don't want to rest? How's the death penalty? And you're like visiting someone's home and they're like, like, and maybe you'd like to rest a little. And you're like, no, no, I'm good. They're, 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 their teenager comes out with like a sawed-off shotgun. <laughs> You'll be resting. <laughs> you're like, you're like oh, maybe I ought to lay down here. So <laughs> anyway, I mean, it's pretty insane, but it makes it all makes sense though. When you realize that the whole thing was him letting us pretend. And now he's just like, you know, can we stop playing charades? And just be together for 24 hours? Like, that's why I made the world. I made the world so we'd have a relationship. You're so busy, like, putting your fingerprints all over the world. You're so busy urinating on every lamppost you walk by, trying to make your mark, that you, you forgot all about me. So why live? if you're not living the purpose. I mean, if the purpose was relationship, so, and you, you're, you're out, meaning I'm, I'm out of this one, man. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm, I'm out. So if you're out, well, why live? You saw last week's Parsha Noah. They were out. And God said, okay, well, better get a raincoat. Because if you're out, I'm out. Now, of course, that then God was out, but he promised he would never be out again. Meaning he's... He, God, in the flood, God said, I, well, you're out, I'm out. But he promised he'd never do that again. So now if you're out, you know, you're out. <laughs> and, then, and then you're gone. You know, it's, it's... And there's only a few commandments like that, where it's like, it'd be better to die than, than opt out of the relationship with the, the puppeteer. God's the puppeteer pulling these strings, and you're like, working, and riding your mountain bike or making a living putting in new light bulbs or you know going to the post office like he's like you, know, you want to cut the strings that's that's not keeping Shabbat is cutting the strings I got this from here God I don't need you 
And the craziest thing, all he's asking us to do is overeat, oversleep, and just like wear nice clothes. And what else you got to do on Shabbat? <laughs> wear nice clothes, overeat and oversleep. You know, <laughs> that's basically all he's asking. It's not like he's asking for anything really rough here. You know, it's not like this tall order. Shabbat. Yeah, like just chill out. Just don't do anything for 24 hours. Like, what is the big deal to not do anything? Because what he's really saying is, another way of saying it is what he's really saying is, I love you. Do you love me too? (laughs) And we're like, and we're like, you know, on our smartphone, we're just like, you know, this, it's almost sundown. You're like, three, two, one. Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) I love you too. I'll never forget. Oh, great. Oh, it would have been good if I kept the last one going for this now. Is uh, um, I once got a thrashing from my wife. Um, you know, oh, by the way, if you think being a rabbi like you're exempt, not at all. You can imagine he's this is like my son in the back here. He's not literally my son, but he's like my son. That's Yiddy. You can imagine me being exempt from getting thrashed from mommy. <laughs> It's like, forget about that, you know. So she pulls me over one morning. I mean, literally like a cop. You know, she's like, pull over. And I'm on on my way out of the house. And so, like, it's Sunday morning. I pull over, sit down at the kitchen table. I'm like, I know I'm in trouble. So I'm like, yeah, what'd I do now? And she's like, she's like, you know, my oldest son's a rummy. He's a serious mountain biker. All my kids are. And, uh. So she says, you know, the way you and Avrami pull up on Friday afternoons, because that's kind of the kid's only day off. Kids study Friday mornings. And, uh, and he's studying all week. He can't really ride. And, and so the way the two of you pull up Friday afternoon, covered in mud, full body armor, and you just kind of power slide in front of our door, bring your muddy bikes into our perfectly clean house for Shabbos, and you'd think with like, you know, you'd think with like 10 minutes left before sundown, you were going to the shower. But no, you go straight to the fridge, straight to the freezer. You pull out frosty mugs. The two you pour your craft beers. Rummy's like 11 at the time. By the way. You, I'm not kidding. You pour your craft beers. You slam your mugs into each other. I mean, it's a miracle you even make a blessing. You pound the entire beer in about a sip. You high five. And then you run to the showers. Time's clicking this whole time. You get out of the showers. You're like literally like making your pace in front of a mirror while counting ten, nine, eight, seven, six. Five, four, three, two, one. I love you too. And my wife says, you know, the rest of the Jewish world is ready like an hour in advance. Jewish women in Jerusalem light candles 40 minutes in advance. The rest of the world, they light candles 18 minutes in advance. It's our way of saying we're like excited. It's coming, you know. 
Like if she says, if guests are coming to the house and they're really important to you, you don't finish getting ready the second they walk in the door. You finish getting ready way before because it's important to you. And she said, can't you guys just... I'm not telling you not to ride and I'm not telling you not to have a beer, but can't you just finish earlier and show our family that Shabbos is important? The way you've got it set up, it looks like Shabbos prevents you from doing what you love, as opposed to Shabbos being what you love. Now that's a Jewish woman. You know what I felt like right there? You ever seen someone take like molten metal, like their metallurgy, and then they stick it into cold water to harden it? That's the way I felt. And that was the last time. Well, there was one exception, but that was the last time. <laughs> besides the one exception that we, that we did that. It completely changed the way our family works on Shabbos and the way we bring in Shabbos. The one time we just were so desperate to ride a particular trail out in the desert was the only time we took off late Friday to do it. And it was like, I don't know if you any married men here, uh, you ever done something when your wife didn't want you to do it and everything went wrong? You know what I'm talking about? It's like got the curse of the, of the meaning it's got the curse of a wife who didn't really bless your endeavors. I've never seen, in all my history, I'm riding 39 years, there was never a time where more technical things went wrong with our bikes than this. And it just, it just got worse and worse. And eventually I'm like, oh, I got to call home and let them know, like, we're almost at emergency, like medevac, you know, like, because we're going to be in the desert on Shabbos. And so I go to my phone and then I'm thinking, whoa, I better turn down the brightness on my phone because what if I'm with no phone in the desert? Like that really, because then they can't even GPS me to find us. So I turned down the volume, except my finger slipped. And the volume, and the, so I turned down the brightness, and it went all the way down in the middle of our bright desert out there, which means my screen was black. So I couldn't use it anymore. My screen's no longer usable. And I, I just couldn't find I was already out of that app, and I, I, I was like, I couldn't get back to the, the screen's pitch black because of bright sun and the low lowest brightness and so I mean it just every single thing that could have gone wrong went wrong now we had a shuttle waiting for us I always use my Aish pledges to shuttle me back to the city you know, from the bottom of the desert by the Dead Sea they got nervous and they were like what the hell happened to these guys and they, uh, they eventually came further west to find us like, at least they, they saw that our trail was going to go through a place called Nabi Musa, which is, uh, how do you call that in English? Nabi Musa is Moses the prophet. Moses the prophet, little oasis spot where there's a mosque. And they drove my van right up into the mosque area. Not a good idea, but they don't look Jewish, these two Aish guys. They were without kippahs, they were whatever. Anyway, by the time we got to Nabi Musa, and we're putting our bikes in the Nabi Musa parking lot into the thing. We're still in full body armor. My son, who's like a Mossad agent, my Avrami, he says, see those Arabs under that palm tree? I'm like, yeah. 
He says, they all got pockets full of rocks. I've been watching them gather them. And they're holding the hardcore slingshot ones, the hardcore ones with the wrist guards. and the. He says, we're about to die. And I'm like, you're kidding. And I said to Paul, one of my age guys, I said to Paul, who's an internationally acclaimed magician, who's been on every major talk show, David Letterman, all the big shows. I said, Paul, remember Paul? Paul, meh, something. Paul, go under that tree. Those Arabs are about to kill us and go start doing magic for them. We get the bikes inside. The Arabs are just like, whoa. They're like checking out the magic tricks. And then finally, I like pull up next to him with the side door open so we can just jump in. And I'm like, Paul, get in, get in, you know, like, but like, you know, get in, like, quiet. And, the, and he's like, one more thing. He like pulls out a spoon. He's like bending the spoon. And he, like Paul loves an audience. So he's like, one more thing. I'm like, not one more thing. And he bends the spoons. At that point, the Arabs were floored when he saw him bend. Remember bending spoons and stuff? Anyway, he bends, he bends the spoon. And then he just like, the Arabs are floored. And he just jumps in and we're like, And they're just like, We're just like, doing like S-turns, you know, just to get out of there. Shalom, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.